Wait, there we go. We're going to continue our series in the, uh, through the parables. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18 today. So if you have your Bibles, grab them, turn to Matthew chapter 18 is where we'll camp out this morning. We'll start off by reading verses 21 and 22. Matthew writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and God uses him to write the words of our God. And he says, Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, Do not say to you, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. This is the word of the Lord. Guys, I love Peter. Peter gives me such hope in life because Peter uh, doesn't care. He goes headfirst into every situation with conviction and boldness, believe it, and just dives in. And so he just goes for it. He's rarely right. He gets it wrong all the time, and it doesn't deter him. He just goes after. He doesn't hold back. And, and the text opens up and with Peter coming to Jesus to ask a simple question. A simple question that we have all asked ourselves, how many times should I forgive someone if they continue to wrong me? How many times should I forgive if I am continually wronged? Every one of us in this room have been wronged, have been hurt, have been offended in some way. Every one of us have, has extended forgiveness to someone when they needed it, and every one of us has felt the pressure and the weight and the want to hold on to wrongs and anger and wanting to be in the right. We've wanted to, hold, to, to not extend forgiveness, but rather hold on to anger because it felt better in the moment. We've all been there. And so Peter's question is valid. It's a question that we must answer. And it, it's a question that leads to other questions. Think about this. Not only how many times should I forgive somebody, but does forgiving someone mean that I must forget what they did? Must I forgive and forget? Or must I forgive someone if they don't apologize or don't ask for my forgiveness? These are good questions that we'll answer this morning. Peter, being who Peter was, uh, not only asks this question, but dives right in to give the answer before Jesus can even speak. And of course, Peter does it in such a way that will make him look really gracious and kind and super spiritual. You see, Peter knew something. Peter knew that in those days, the rabbis taught uh, that if, you, if you've been offended, that you should forgive someone up to three times. One, two, three strikes, you're out. And so when Peter asked the question, Jesus, how many times should, should we forgive somebody? And he comes to give the answer, and he says, as many as seven? Peter thinks he is really gracious and really spiritual. He thinks, oh, I'm going to more than double what all of the other rabbis and spirit teachers say. I'm going to more than double it. I mean, Jesus, seven times. And he thinks he's going to look really good until Jesus responds and says, no, not seven times, but 77. Now, some of your translations may <clears throat> uh, say 77. Others say 70 times seven. And there's a debate over which way it should be. But the point is the same regardless. Forgiveness is not something that we keep track of. You see, if you only have to forgive somebody three times, you can count that, right? Oh, that's one. Strike one. Oh, oh that's strike two. One more, you better, better watch it. Don't do it again or you're going to be out. You can count seven times. 
But could you imagine? Oh, you did it again. This is the 67th time I've forgiven you. Oh, wait, no, actually, hang on, hang on. I got it written down here somewhere. No, actually, that's, that's 69 times. No, that's seven. And so you can't keep, the point is, you cannot keep up with forgiving someone 77 times or 70 times, seven times. It's unrealistic. See, Jesus' point is that forgiveness is unlimited. Forgiveness is unlimited. Because Jesus knows that this is shocking to Peter and shocking to the other disciples, he tells them this parable to help them understand. Look with me at uh, verse 23 in Matthew chapter 18. The words will be on the screen. Jesus tells this story. Their kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one uh, was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused and went him into prison till he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him to him and said, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all of that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. The first thing, guys, that we need to notice about this story is the debt, all right? The king calls in the servant. He's calling in his debts, and then the servant comes before him learn that he owes the king 10,000 talents. Now, that doesn't mean dollars. Is that what that means? Because that's a lot, but not really a lot. $10,000, it's 10,000 talents. So what does that mean? Check me because I don't like math. Amen? I thought I'd get more amens than that, honestly. Who likes math? All right, so, so here's, what, here's what a talent is. One talent is equal to 75 pounds of silver, which means 10,000 talents is worth 750,000 pounds of silver. One talent is equal to 6,000 denarii. One talent is equal to 6,000 denarii. One denarii, one denarii was one day's wage. So if you came to work for me, the average man would get paid one denarius a day. So one talent is equal to 20 years of work. One talent then is one is 20 years of work. So 10,000 talents would have taken 200,000 years for the average man to pay off. 200,000 years of work to pay that debt or 60 million days. This is no small debt. This is an absurdly huge debt that this man could never have imagined being able to pay off. Many of us in this room have debt. We, we've got car debt or credit card debt or student loan debt or house debt. But there's always an end in sight. You can see, oh, in five years, that car will be paid off. In 30 years, that house will be paid off. There is an end in sight. But this man had such a debt that for 200,000 years, he wouldn't be able to pay this thing off. 
There's no end in sight. It's a crushing, overwhelming type of debt. But then, in great desperation, he hits his knees and he begins to plead and beg for grace. And in turn of incredible kindness, the king doesn't just give him more time to pay it back, but he forgives the whole thing and wipes it clean. He wipes the ledger clean and lets the man go, start a free, start new, free life, no longer bound. And can you imagine, like, wouldn't you think that would change your life? Like, wouldn't you think that if you had received such a gift, such forgiveness of a debt like that, that you would then extend it to everyone else? When we read this, we, we assume the guy is going to extend this to his servant. Because we would think we would, right? We think that if it happened to us, man, we would be so kind that we'd get to do this to other people. But herein lies Jesus' warning. That as this servant walks out of the palace a free man, debt-free, he sees one of his servants who owed him money, not 10,000 talents, not a 200,000-year sum, but 100 denarii, 100 days' work. A small debt, comparatively. And instead of saying, hey, brother, it is your lucky day. I've just been forgiven of all of my debt, and I now release you from yours. Instead of saying that, he begins to choke him, saying, give me my money, pay me what you owe. And when this servant of his pleads in the same way that this servant just pleaded to his master, when he pleads the same way, give me patience, have mercy on me, he does not extend the same grace that was just afforded to him. And when the king finds out what is done, he throws him into prison, revoking his forgiveness. See, this is a striking story to us. It is striking because we're stunned that a man who had just been forgiven so much couldn't forgive this little bitty debt. It's like fighting with somebody over a quarter when you've just been given a million dollars. And so it is striking and it is dumbfounding and it is petty and it is ridiculous and we all sit here rebuking this unforgiving servant and yet what we must understand is that Jesus has placed us in the story as him. You need to understand that Jesus is placing us in the story as the bad guy so that we would see our potential to act just as foolish and petty and ungracious as this unforgiving servant. You see, we, you and I, people who follow Jesus, we are the people who stand before not just any king, but the king of kings, and we owe such a massive debt to the Lord that we can never pay back. We owe such a debt because of our sin to God that 200,000 years of good works would not put a dent in it. We owe such a debt to God that all of the religious goodness, all the good works, all of our best would never scratch the surface of the debt we owe to him because of our sin. We stand before a king like that, and yet God in his infinite kindness wants to forgive us of our debt. But see, here's the difference. Unlike the king in our story, the king in our story can just look and say, okay, I'll wipe it clean, and some, some guy with a, with a notebook just scratches out the debt. But God cannot do that. God cannot look at you and just say, okay, I'll forgive you. We'll call it good. He literally can't do that because there is a debt that has to be paid. There is a price that must be paid. And so because God loves you so much, because he cares for you so much in his infinite kindness, he comes himself to pay the debt so that he can forgive you. 
And Jesus was, was, came to this world. God came to this world. He was beaten. He was crucified. He was brutally killed. That's not, that's not the big thing. But rather, this moment on the cross, when God the Father takes all of his wrath and anger and punishment and justice, and he pours it out on his son, and in that moment, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it is because God has turned his back and his face from his son. And for the first time in the history of the world, the son experienced what it was like to be a sinner and to be separated from God. And in that moment, pays the debt that we owe, an infinite debt that we could not pay. He pays it. See, God forgives us by paying our debt himself. God saw us drowning in an ocean of infinite misery by which we have no means of escape. And even though we are the ones who owed him, he came and paid our debt. What a marvelous grace we have received. And what Jesus is doing until in the story is he is sneaking the gospel right into this parable to show us exactly what he is doing for us. And he takes the gospel into this parable. He is not only showing what he has done for us, but he is also showing us how this gospel should change us. That it's, it's practical. So what does this mean for us this morning? First, it means that forgiveness is not something that we can simply say. Forgiveness, when when someone wrongs you, you can't just simply say, oh, I forgive you. It doesn't work that way. How many of you guys are Office fans? Who like The Office? Not very many of you. See, Kate, I told you it's not very funny. There's one funny scene, though, where Michael Scott is having money trouble, and and he's in the break room, and someone tells him, he says, I heard you've been having money trouble. I've I've got a solution for you. He says to Michael Scott, the boss, he says, you declare bankruptcy, all your problems will go away. And Michael says, no, that's not true. You can't just declare bankruptcy and everything go away. But, but this guy begins to convince him, and, and Michael begins to believe it. And so Michael Scott walks out into the, the open office where everybody's working, and he just stands there, and he says, I declare bankruptcy! And everybody just looks at him like, what just happened? And he goes into his office. Well, then someone else uh, comes into his office and says, Michael, I just want you to know that you can't just say uh, bankruptcy and all your problems go away. And Michael says, I didn't say it. I declared it. You see, we cannot just declare or say you're forgiven, and it's true. Because there is a debt that has to be paid if we are going to forgive people. What does that mean? Well, think about it this way. If we, go, if we leave here and we get out of the parking lot and I get in a hurry because I'm hungry and I get in my truck and I back it up and I back right into your car and put this big dent, big old scratch down the side of that car, there is an outstanding balance. There is a debt that has to be paid. And here's the thing. Either you can pay it or I can pay it. Your insurance or my insurance, but one of them's got to pay for it. And if you were to say to me, Brent, it was an accident. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. You can't simply just say that. you got to pull your checkbook out with it and pay. You have to absorb the cost of my infraction. You have to absorb the cost of what I did wrong to forgive me of that. You've got to pay for it to forgive me. But you can. And you see, forgiveness works the same way. 
Because think about it this way. If we go out into the parking lot, I just dress you down. I just say all kinds of mean things to you. I just say, I can't believe you're the worst church member I've ever met. You are terrible. Look what you're wearing. Your hair looks terrible. You're awful. If I just said all these mean things to you and hurt your feelings and whatever. And if you want, now there's a debt that has to be paid. And eat it. Now, if I pay the debt, that means you come back at me and say, oh, yeah, well, you're the worst preacher I've ever met, and you're terrible, and da 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 Or you could just come punch me in the face, and then we'd be even. Forgive me. You want to extend forgiveness. That means you got to take all that anger, all that sadness, all the sorrow, all the hurt, and instead of putting it on me, and you don't take it out on the other person, but you hurt in their place because that is exactly what God has done in Jesus for us. He bore his own anger. And for you to forgive isn't something you can just say. It's a sorrow. And instead of lashing it out on the other person and holding a grudge and holding it over them, you bear the hurt. You pay the debt. Forgiveness is always you paying what the other person owes. It has to be absorbed. This happened in the first time. I did a little dance. And I told him it was only for them, but I guess I lied. You see, this is why we say forgiveness is not merely a moment in time. It's a process. It's day after day, week after week, holding in all of this anger and sorrow and hurt and not lashing it out until that sorrow and hurt goes away. And it's no longer a choice, but it's gone. That is what forgiveness looks like. God forgave us by paying our debt, and we must forgive others by paying theirs. Jesus ends the, the parable, but, but he says, you know, uh, the, the king threw the servant into jail, and he ends it by saying, so also will my heavenly Father do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You see, our lives as followers of Jesus should be marked by extending the type of radical grace and compassion and forgiveness that we have received from God. Forgiveness should come so naturally to us because, guys, think about it. The debt we owe God because of our sin could, would fill this room and fill the whole universe. It is a massive debt that God has paid on our behalf. And so every other infraction to us, no matter how big or small it looks to us, is teeny tiny compared to what God has forgiven us for. And so we should be the people who are marked by radical forgiveness because we know what it is like to be radically forgiven. And so Christians should be marked and known by this. But yet so often we are like the unforgiving servant. Yet so often we want to hold on to our anger, hold on to our grudges, hold on to our bitterness. And I can't help but think that the reason that we can walk around with such pride and unforgiveness and condemnation of others is because we are blind to just how big of a debt we owed and we are blind to the price that was paid to pay it off. Because I think if we truly understood, forgiveness would be a much easier thing for us. Here's the point. Christians are marked by their radical ability to forgive because they know better than anyone else what it is like to be forgiven such a huge debt. And here is what I think is the main point of this parable. So if you're taking notes, write this down. You cannot genuinely receive God's forgiveness and remain an unforgiving person. You cannot genuinely receive God's forgiveness and remain an unforgiving person. 
So no matter what you face in life, no no matter if it is a a betrayal of a friend or the snapping of a spouse or being offended by someone else's opinion on social media or whatever the case may be, the worst things we can think of to the simplest things we can think of, we extend forgiveness and pay the debt because our debt has been paid. How many times do we forgive? Infinite. But does does forgiving mean that we forget? Does forgiving someone mean that we just forget that it all happened and treat them like nothing ever happened? No, of course not. That's dumb. Forgiveness means we pay the debt and we don't hold it over them. We don't hold a grudge. But it doesn't mean we forget. If you have a friend who treats you really horribly, you should forgive them. But maybe you should find some better friends. Must I forgive if they don't apologize or ask? I think yes. Jesus says over and over again, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. They're still your enemies. They don't ask for your forgiveness. They don't think they need it, yet you are to bless them. And that blessing means that on our part, the inward forgiveness has happened. Because the opposite of forgiveness is holding a grudge. And holding a grudge or not being able to forgive someone, I think deep down also means this. When you have a hard time forgiving someone, I think it means that you believe the lie that says, I would have never done what they did to me. I would have never done what they did to me. I would never have done that. But let me tell you something. There is not one act that you are incapable of doing given the right circumstances. You are capable of the worst atrocities if you are just put in the right circumstances. And the only reason you haven't committed them is by the grace of God. And so when they've been done against you, know that it's God's grace that's kept you from doing that too. And since your debt has been paid, you can pay others. Forgiveness is not always easy. But it should come naturally to us because we of all people know what it is like to be in debt and have the king of kings look at our debt and say, paid in full. Paid in his own blood. Balance zero. Let's pray. There are some of you in this room right now and there are people in your life that you are holding a grudge against. There are people in your life that, that you are bitter towards. There are people in your life that you have not forgiven. And the Lord is reminding you this morning that the forgiveness you need to give, the debt that you need to pay is intestinally small compared to the vast amount of debt that has been paid on your behalf. And God wants to remind you of this incredible grace that you've received, the incredible forgiveness that you've received. And since you've received it in Christ, you can give it to others. That the forgiveness you need to give may seem huge to you, but it's actually so small in comparison. Lord, I pray you give them the strength this morning to extend the forgiveness that they need need to extend. And for those in this room, there may be some of you in this room right now, and you have never received the forgiveness that God is offering to cover all of your sin debt. This morning, all you have to do is ask, and he'll wipe it away. It's already been paid for. He's just got to apply it. If you're here this morning, that's you after the service. I'm going to hang out up here. Feel free to just come up and talk to me. I'd love to show you what it means to follow Jesus and have your sins cleansed and forgiven.
God, we pray that you would remind us of this incredible grace that we don't deserve, that we take for granted, and we do not understand how much we owed or what it costs. Lord, give us, give us a glimpse of an understanding of it that we may extend the same grace to others. Let us be a church and a people known for radical forgiveness and compassion and grace. The people who don't deserve it because we are a people who don't deserve your grace and yet we received it. Father, we thank you and love you in Christ and we pray. All those people said, amen.